thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We may not have had a UFC event this past weekend, but there was plenty of MMA action, including Bellator 225, where there was a record-breaking submission by our guest today, Aviv Gozali, who is just 18 years old. He talks to us about how he's going to foul that up. And then we're talking about next weekend, which we do get a UFC event. UFC is heading to China for this upcoming weekend. We're going to talk about those fights, as well as to one of the fighters, Kai Kara France, who fights Mark De La Rosa. He's the number 10 flyweight in the world, and he has got some words for Henry Cejudo, so you're going to want to check that out. Plus, we'll be doing the news and our famous combat countdown. You don't want to miss a second of this show. But before we get to any of that, i got to remind you that this episode is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. Go to ADKFightwear.com, make sure you use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, and you're going to get 20% off high-quality grappling gear. And let me tell you something. It's hard out there to find grappling gear that is both good and cheap. And ADK gives you exactly that. I've had the same rash guard for the last two years. The thing hasn't faded. It looks brand new. All the seams look phenomenal. It's truly amazing. And I got that using our promo code for just 20 bucks. That's right, just 20 bucks. You're not going to find a rash guard online at that price with this quality it's impossible. So go to ADK Fightwear, check out their rash guards, their spats, their sweatshirts, their geese, whatever it is you need for grappling, check it out there. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode, Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Freeman with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have Aviv Gozali, who's fresh off of his record-breaking 11-second submission at Bellator 225. So I gotta ask, I know you probably pre-planned that this is how you were gonna start the fight. How far ahead of time did you pre-planned it? I planned it like one year ago. I started to plan it how I'm gonna do it. I wanted to do it in my first fight, but I didn't have the confidence to do it. I want to do it also in the second fight, but now I did it. I had enough confidence. I was sure that I'm going to make it, so I did. And, and I got to ask, too, because obviously you're game planning in all of these fights with your coaches. Had you mentioned to any of your coaches that this is a thing you wanted to do? Yeah, I told them, like, I told my coach, like, five hours before the fight. I planned it with my father like all the week. I train on this like 50 times a day, 100 times a day, all the all the week of the fight. And like five hours before the fight, I I came to my coach Antonio McKee. I told him I'm gonna do it. Say to me, let me watch it. So show him. And he told me, okay, do it. So he only had to see you do it once, and he had enough com- confidence that you could have landed it in a fight? Yeah. That, that's certainly awesome. Now, uh, you, you've obviously got some really clear grappling chops, but you're only 18 years old. How long have you been grappling like this? I'm grappling like since I was 8 years old, 9 years old. My father is also 4 degree black belt, offensive Gracie, so I grew up to this to all the grappling world, you know. It, was it always your, your goal to fight MMA, or did you have grappling goals first? 
Uh, I start with the European comp competition. I took like the IBGGF European Nogi 2016. I was second place in the world in 2017, I think. It was I had a lot of gold medals in IBGGF, in Naga competition. And when I grew up, I was like 16 years old when Bellator came to Israel for the first time. So I told them I want to fight. They told me it's from 18 years old. So I took myself serious. I started working on my stand-up, my wrestling to be an MMA fighter. And then I did my MMA debut uh, last year, November 2018. I was 17 years old. And now I'm continuing with it. And, and, I love it. And, and is your goals 100% towards MMA now, or do, do you still have ideas of going maybe back to the grappling world, doing things like Abu Dhabi? No, no now I'm doing only MMA. Awesome. So, uh, obviously, Bellator is going back to Tel Aviv in November, or so I've heard. Uh, I assume they're going to want you on that card. You're going to want to be on that card. Have you had talks about them about uh, just exactly whether or not that would happen? Yeah, I'm going to fight on that card. I'm going to fight... Uh, I'm going to fight. Also, my father is going to fight. We're going to do the father and son again. Mm -hmm. It's going to be in November 14. We're going to, both of us going to be in the main card. It's going to be an awesome show. That sounds awesome. Now, uh, we're a ways out. I mean, November is a long ways away. Is there anybody you'd like to fight in particular on that card? Uh, I don't care who is my opponent going to be, especially not in Israel. Mm -hmm. In Israel, nobody can defeat me. I'm going to beat everyone. And, and uh, again, we mentioned, too, that you're only 18 years old. You're, you're in the MMA world. You're only three fights in. But it seems like with the quickness of your submissions, the fact that, you know, your last opponent had, like, 17 career fights, you could have a quick run up the, you know, lightweight division or welterweight division, which whatever one you're, you're pursuing. Do you want to move quickly up the divisions, or, or are you okay taking your time? Yeah, I want to be the youngest champion of the history of Bellator. So I'm going to do it. The youngest champion right now who was like 22 years old, Joe Warren, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm going to beat this record also. Well, that, that's so I'm gonna do. So I'm going to do many as fights as I can together, fast as fast as possible. Well, and that certainly makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I've got to ask too, and, and not that you want to tip your hand, when you have that fight going in, in November, November 14th, are we going to see something similar at the beginning? Are we going to see Imanari rolls? Are we going to see something else even more special? I'm going to surprise you. All right. Watch me in November, watch me in November 14th and find out. All right. Well, we're certainly going to have to do that. Thank you so much for the time, Aviz. Once again, this was Aviv Gozali, fresh off his record-breaking 11-second submission at Bellator 225. Thanks so much for the time, man. Thank you. Thanks. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Kai Kara France, who fights Mark De La Rosa at UFC in China on August 31st. So, Kai, my question for you to start is it seemed like the UFC was going to do away with their flyweight division for a little bit. They cut a huge number of fighters. They were down to like 12 or 13 guys total. Were you ever worried that the UFC was going to end the division that you fight in? Yeah, um, I feel like all the flyweights were um, ready to go up to bantamweight. Um, or, um, yeah, we, we didn't really have any job security. Um, 
it was out of my control. So one thing I just had to focus on was um, just keep my head down, you know, not not look at it too much and just, just hope for a, a next fight. So, um, you know, I'm glad to be fighting again um, against Mark De La Rosa August 31st next weekend in uh, Shenzhen, China. So, yeah, it's an exciting time. I feel like the matchups um, at the moment in the flyweight division are all exciting. Anyone could beat anyone on any given day. And, um, yeah, there's there's some real uh, momentum now with um, Suhudo taking out the bantamweight champ um, or winning the winning the belt and um, having two belts. But um, I feel like he needs to defend against Dimitri, um, sorry, Joseph Benavides um, to unify that now. Yeah, and I was going to ask you too, with with Cejudo doing all of that kind of stuff, you know, you're you're not that far from the top of the division. Do you, do you feel like he needs to make a choice between the divisions, or do you feel like he can defend both titles? Yeah, he, like obviously he he's he's gone down the path where he likes to talk a lot now, and um, he's a lot, a lot about the theatrics and um, trying to get pick a fight with Valentina. Um, and be the first trans transgender champion, which is you know crazy. And um, he was my coach on Ultimate Fighter, so I've got a good relationship with Henry. Um, he watched my last fight in Melbourne. He was there, and um, it was cool to reconnect because that's the first time I've seen him since um, I was on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, so he's done real, yeah, he's done really well since since I saw him winning two belts. Uh, but now you know it's time for him to actually. Um, get back to work and and um, defend his titles because while he's been, you know, going up a weight class, the division's still moving and, you know, I'm, I'm two, two fight um, win streak in the UFC, seven fight win streak overall. Um, I'm only one or two fights away from being, you know, in title contention um, and, and you know, it's exciting times, especially um, coming from City Kickboxing, my gym in Auckland. We've got so much killers in my gym, Dan, the Hangman Hooker, Israel Adesanya, Alexander Volkanovsky. We're all um, pushing each other, and um, that's why we've been so successful with um, the environment our head coach, Eugene Berman, has created. And, um, yeah, we're just the gym's booming, and we're ready to go. We're ready to take over. And, uh, you said so much there, too. I want to take a step back just to the part where you said how close you are to a title shot, because it does seem like, you know, three, four wins in a row at flyweight right now pretty much makes you the number one contender. How quickly do you think you could fight for the title? Are we talking 2020 that we see Kaikara France fighting for the strap? Like, I, you know, I don't want to think too much ahead of myself. I'm not, it's not never been me and I, I, I am ambitious. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I do want to fight for the title one day, but I, I want to do it in the right way where I'm, I'm, I build up to it and um, I'm not kind of thrown in the deep end straight away. Um, I'm ranked number 10 right now. I think Mark De La Rosa is number 14. So um, that's all I'm looking at right now. Um, we just take it one fight at a time and um, go from there. So I don't really like to, um, you know, overlook situations and um, think about title shots yet because, you know, I've got a fight in front of me and, and um, that's kind of where I'm thinking. Yeah, you certainly do have a fight in front of you too. And let's talk about stylistically in that matchup. Mark De La Rosa has pretty much only fought at Bantamweight in the UFC so far, you know, maybe for fear of losing the flyweight division or whatever reason he did. Do you think that that gives you the advantage knowing that you don't have to cut a huge much amount of weight and you don't have to fly halfway across the country? Yeah, like China's kind of halfway in the middle. So we're both traveling, but um, my whole career has been overseas, um, you know, in Asia. Um, so I'm used to traveling 
and um, preparing for fights and especially um, having fights um, often at flyweight. I'm used to that traveling and weight cutting and then putting on a performance. Yeah, he's been fighting at bantamweight, but I feel like that's been more because of the UFC didn't know what they were doing and and um, they were just matching up flyweights at bantamweight anyway. So he's two and two in the UFC, um, coming off a loss. So I know he'll be coming in, you know, guns blazing, trying to take me out. But um, we're prepared every, for every um, situation and every scenario that's going to happen in this fight. So I, I'm I'm feeling confident, and um, yeah, I just can't wait to get back in there. And no doubt, too, he really loves to grapple. It seems to be his his forte. Do you think that this is a fight that winds up on the floor, or are you trying to stand and bang with this guy? Uh, like the thing is, stylistics. Yeah, on paper it should be a grappler versus striker fight, but we wrestle just as much as we strike at our gym, and um, you know I. I I feel pretty comfortable on the ground, and you know, if it ends up there, if I, I take him down, then um, yeah, we just I just take it as it comes. But um, there's no secret that I I, I want to look for a finish, and I, I want to test his chin and put take him to that deep deep water and um, see if he can keep up with my pressure. So um, I, I'm ready for wherever this fight goes, um, and um, yeah, I feel confident. And you mentioned your gym a couple of times because, you know, like you said, the guys at your gym as well as yourself are doing amazing things this year and last year in the UFC. I want to talk to you about Israel's fight coming up because it is such an exciting fight. It's one we've all been waiting for. How big is the buzz, you know, where you guys are right now for that fight? Yeah, our gyms, um, the energy in the gym right now is contagious and it's um you know it's electrifying and everyone's super motivated and um you know it's such a um uh yeah it's it's, it's such a good environment to be around when you know you, you're training seven days six days a week two to three times a day and you've got you know another 10 guys doing the same thing that you're doing um and and um they're getting ready for their fight so that that just makes for um such a um, unique environment where you know there's no limits. Everyone's pushing each other, um, striving to be better. I've got a lot of guys that are my size as well, and a lot of guys are, uh, that are bigger. Um, but uh, that I feel like that helps me in the long run. Getting used to different, sparring different body types, different um, styles. You know, I'm not, I don't have the same style as Israel or, or Dan because they're both a lot longer and long, a lot taller than me. So. Getting used to sparring guys like that, um, and you know, world-class um, opponents, and um, having uh, um, Alexander Volkanovski fly from Australia and train with me, you know, the number one contender in the um, featherweight division, so perfect sparring partner for me. His top pressure is, you know, the, this, um, the heaviest I've ever actually felt before. So um, yeah, just having those guys to train with day in day out, and then having our head coach Eugene Berman, um, the glue that puts it all together. We call him the mad scientist because um, he watches so much fight footage and um, he's so good on picking up little details and um, ten- tendencies that our opponents do. So I don't watch fight footage myself. I just kind of listen for the call and, and listen to what Eugene's got to do. I just, I'm like the the player one and he's the controller, just controlling whatever I have to do. So I'm feeling, um, you know, the fittest I've ever been for for my fights, no injuries, um, you know, knock on wood. Um, but yeah, fe- feeling 100% for this fight. My last fight was, what, February, so six-month layoff. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel like this will be the best Kai the UFC have seen. 
And, and you mentioned too that you know you've had that six month layoff. I, I gotta ask, is that by your own choice to heal up, or do you wish you could be a little bit more active than that? No, that was by choice. Um, it just things weren't working out. You know, I could I couldn't get um, a solid month of training in just because I was held back from um, a wrist injury that I had for my last fight, and you know one thing led to another. I just couldn't get consistency, so. Um, it's taken a little while to get to, to to get to full strength, but um, I'm, I'm glad I'm, we're here now, and um, it's pretty much fight week, and um, yeah, I'm just ready to go. Yeah, and we're certainly excited to see what a 100% Kai Kara France looks like. Now, before I let you go, I do always got to ask, uh, you know, if things go 100% to plan, how do you see this fight with Mark De La Rosa ending? Um, how I see this fight ending? Um I'm just ready to go, you know, three rounds, if that's so be it. I'm, I'm ready to go to that in the, that dark place in the third round if we go there, or I'm ready to take it, take him out in the first round. But, um, yeah, I'm just ready for wherever, wherever this fight goes, um, hopefully get a finish. Um, I haven't got a finish in my UFC um, career yet. Um, so, yeah, looking to, looking to do that. And, um, you know, if everything goes to plan, no injuries from the fight, I, I want to try to get on the Melbourne card five weeks after um, – with the same card as Israel and Dan, my other teammates, um, it would be a dream to you know back do back to back camps, um, just jump straight back into my um, into my training schedule and um, do it again. So yeah, if if everything goes to plan, that that's that's how I see it doing. Ooh, I love the idea of staying active. Once again, this is Kai Kara France who fights Mark De La Rosa at UFC in China on August 31st. Kai, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, bro. Cheers. Those interviews with Aviv Gozali in Kai Kara, France were brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only mixed martial arts and martial arts in general tracking app for your training. You're going to download the Maroon app off of whatever app service you use, and it is going to help you reach your goals. And let me tell you how it does it. You start by downloading it, and then you set up a profile, which says where you train, what martial arts you like to train, maybe your belt level if your martial art has a belt. And then after that, you can log your training sessions. And the cool thing about this is, A, it gives you accountability. Maybe your friends are also on the app. They can see how much you're training. You want to impress your friends. On top of that, too, it also gives you week-to-week updates about how much you're training, whether you're training more than last week or less than last week. It gives you month-to-month updates. Plus, you can put things like competitions, weigh-ins, all kinds of things on there. It is just an awesome app to track exactly how you're doing. So check it out, Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Now, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave, Dave Tremonte. Dave, I gotta ask, what do you think of Aviv's ambitions to be the youngest Bellator champ? Do you think he's got a good chance? The answer is yes. Why not? He's have, uh, what, what would he have? Four years to go to beat the record because he's 18 and the record holder was 22. Yeah, I think it, it is extremely possible being that he's got, you know, four, four years to get it done. Plus the fact that he's three and oh with three first round submissions. They're clearly behind him because he's doing like a whole bunch of good work for an area that they're going to. You know, they're going back to Israel. The only thing that might be a hang-up is his division. It's a really tough division. 55 and 70 are both two divisions that are notoriously stacked in, in any promotion. Yeah, absolutely. But it'll be fun to watch. And also very cool that Israel kind of has its first budding MMA star. I mean, that's a country of, uh, you know, 
a few million people, as much or a little more than Ireland. I would want to say it's in that five to eight million people range. Obviously, a good economy, so they have money to spend. Uh, that's one of those, you know, we spoke with Art Davey back in the day, uh, and he always said it's about building those international stars. He could be an international star for Bellator. Absolutely, especially, like like I said, I, you know, I mentioned it before, them going back there is such a big piece to it, and they already had plans to do it before this amazing viral submission. Holler at your boy, because I just had the intern look it up, and Israel does have a population of 8 million. So I think <laughs> Ireland is 5 to 6. Uh, so that all being said, it's a good thing. All right, here we go. Let's get to our favorite segment on the show. Well, it's time for our favorite segment on the show. It's the fastest fight news. We deliver the news to you in under 15 minutes or less, or your podcast is free, because let's face it, you have better things to do than listen to an MMA podcast for an hour, two hours, some podcasts approach three hours. No, we respect your time, so let's get on with it. An 11-second sub for Aviv Gonzalez is really where I want to start. He was on the show, and it was super fucking impressive. Yeah, I love, too, that it, it was not just an Imanari role to a guy who looked like he didn't know how to defend it. The guy looked like he knew how to defend it. A couple of great adjustments. I mean, I love it. I'm glad we talked about it again. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the fact that he trains with Danaher Death Squad obviously coming through. We haven't seen any heel hooks in the UFC yet this year, although Ryan Hall has not fought yet this year. Or actually, has Ryan Hall fought? Yeah, he did. He, he... fought uh, uh, Darren Elkins, and uh, he wound up putting on a striking clinic. So, you know, that's a weird thing. <laughs> yes. He might not get any footlocks in the UFC this year, but we're getting one in Bellator, or a few actually in Bellator already. Um, so that's pretty cool to see. We'll move on, though. Uh, Connor issued an apology, went on what they called a special sports center, really just the Ariel Hawani show under the ESPN banner. And he said he was sorry for punching an old man in the head at a bar in Ireland as captured on TMZ video footage. What did you make of the apology, and do you believe him? Uh, I don't really care about the apology, you know, and as far as I'm concerned, it, it doesn't matter to me what happened. Like the authorities will take care of that. I'm sick of deba- debating Conor McGregor's antics. What I am interested about though, is that the fact that he's on TV to me seems to hint of a comeback, right? If he's doing a goodwill press tour, that almost seems like something he's doing for the UFC as he gets ready to get back in the cage. So that's my inkling. But uh, that's about my only takeaway from it. I, I really believe we've all witnessed Connor's rise. We've all seen the documentary on Netflix, the notorious one. I think this man has gone a little crazy with all the fame and money, to be quite honest with you. I know it's part of the gimmick, but I actually think at his heart, I truly believe him when he says he is a fighter uh, and that he'll do this until he's dead. I mean, that might not be true, but... I do think he has it in him. I think it's probably been his whole life, and now he's a little confused what to do without it. Yes, I know he has the very successful whiskey brand. So long story short, I agree with you, and I think he actually needs a fight to stop getting in trouble like this. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, although, then again, they, the Habib one, did he have a fight scheduled when he threw that dolly? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that was in April. The Habib fight wasn't until later that year, right? Yeah, so maybe he didn't. So so maybe that was uh, why he was getting in trouble there. Or actually, maybe he had the Floyd fight. I don't know, but there you go. All right, uh, we do know of a fight that is actually happening. Finally, it's Usman versus friend of the show, Colby Covington, and it's going to be at MSG UFC 244. 
who do you take on this, uh, you know, several months away? Where are you leaning? So my, my first lean is to Kamar Usman. Just because watching Colby Covington beat Robbie Lawler, to me the thing I thought was that Colby won based on output and just being, like, tricky on the feet and not letting uh, Robbie pull the trigger. And I don't think Usman will be that trigger shy, and I don't think he's that afraid to get hit by Colby. So as a result, I think you're going to see less of that. I also, you know, and I think I said this at the time, the fact that Colby didn't land a takedown from the third round on, to me shows that either he was too confident in his hands or he was starting to lose some of his wrestling ability late. Maybe his cardio was giving way. Um, and, and I think that that favors Usman in a five-round fight. So I'm leaning Kamar Usman to retain there. We'll, of course, revisit as we get closer to the show. Uh, Rory Mack versus Lima Part 2 has been announced for October in Bellator. Tell people why they would they should care. Um, I mean, Lima is a violence machine. And, and although Rory Mack had that kind of lackluster performance against uh, John Fitch a little while ago, he came back and looked really damn good in his next fight. So as a result, I think everybody should care about Rory Mack fights because I think he's one of the best guys not in the UFC. And, and Lima's the perfect guy to bring out his violence. All right. As Bruce Buffer likes to say, it's time. But in this case, it's time for our combat countdown, and we're counting down the top five most likely Eastern Asian champions. Gumby, before we get to this combat countdown, why don't you tell the fans if any fine company sponsors said countdown? So this combat countdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to sisuguard.com for the only mouthguard where you can talk, breathe, and drink all with that mouthguard up in your mouth. It is truly a feat of science because tiny perforations allow you to breathe and get that water into your mouth without taking the mouthguard out so that your choppers stay protected while your mouthguard stays nice and squeaky clean. Check them out. Make sure to use promo code TOPTURTLE50 for 15% off your whole mouthguard purchases. Yeah, so we threw this out as we always do on our Twitter and asked fans, who do you think is the most likely to become the first Eastern Asian champion? Had a lot of good feedback. We, of course, took that feedback, scaled it down into our own list. But I want to address the guy who came in with the super nerdy, super smart mark, if you're familiar with that term, comment, where he said, there already has been an Eastern Asian champion, Saku won the UFC Japan tournament in 1997. Hey, listen, punk, we said champion, okay? I don't count tournament winners from the early <laughs> UFC as champions. That's just a no-brainer. Yeah. So you're not that smart. You're not that cool. <laughs> and if you disagree with me, I don't know. Let's just go back and forth on Twitter and be bitches about it. All right, let's start with number five. And pronunciation is not going to be my friend in this list, but here we go. Number five. It's Kung Ho Kang. He's 3-1 and one, uh, in the UFC, and that's since his military service. Let's talk about him, Gumby. So I like Kyung Ho Kang for a couple of reasons. And by the way, you nailed it. Kyung Ho Kang is exactly how you say it. Like you said, he's 3-1 and one since he came back from his military service. He's at 135 pounds. He just looked really good against Brandon Davis. And the thing I like about him is since he's come back from his military service, his hands look more polished. He's had a little bit more faith in his boxing. And he's using that to set up his wrestling. Whereas before he left, he was all about his wrestling. And he almost leaned on it too much. 
So it was like a do or die situation. He got the takedown or he lost. So I think he's a more well-rounded guy. He's certainly not one of the top guys who could get a title soon. Obviously, you know, we're, we're leaving off Weili Zhang from this list because she could win this, this weekend coming up. She definitely would be the number one. These are five people, including not including her. And I think he's got a decent chance on the trajectory he's on. For four, I think this is a more known name, Li Jing Lang. Yeah, Li Jing Lang is a, a much more known name. He, he's six and one in his last seven, with only a loss to Jake Matthews in there, which is a pretty notable loss at 170 pounds. I don't like the matchup for him this weekend, which I, I'll mention when we get to our breakdown a little bit later on. You know, I like Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos, but should he get through Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos, he's a top 15 welterweight right then. And, and that's a division where they're, you're like only like one or two wins against a, a top level guy away from sort of cracking into that big echelon. And, and you know, a win over Zaleski Dos Santos might be the first of those wins. So I think we had to include him on this list for that reason. Well, you might know Li Jing Lang, but you're definitely going to know number three. You've heard the name. He's been around for a while. He's a fan favorite. He's one of our favorites. He's deserving of the number three spot. It's the Korean Zombie. Yeah, the Korean Zombie, Chan Sung Jung. I, I mean, you can't have this list without him, right? So, But the problem is, and the reason why he winds up so low on this list, is because like his the amount of times he's fought recently is not all that much. Plus, you got the title fight loss in there, which makes him a less intriguing challenger for some time. He also recently lost to, to Yair Rodriguez. That being said, he is probably the most talented Eastern European fighter right now, not named Weili Zhang. Just because he's so impressive on his feet, he's got great submission skills. You know, he's got fights with, you know, some of the top names in the division. I mean, he fought Justin Poirier. So, like, he's obviously a top-level guy. He's a little bit less likely it falls to three due to, you know, those those losses I mentioned. All right. Well, we'll give our first female on the list here, number two, and I'm not going to pronounce this right, <laughs> Jin Yan. Yeah, Shaunan Yan is 4-0 in the UFC. She's 115-pounder. She just recently came off a, a really good decision over Angela Hill. She's also got wins over Kaylin Curlin, Vivian Pereira, and uh, Siri Kondo. So she's got, like, a lot of good wins. They're all decisions. Um, which isn't super exciting, but she also hasn't lost since all the way back in 2010. So she's got a really good run in front of her too. Obviously, she's got her countrywoman fighting for the title in her division coming up. Uh, if she can string together two or three more wins, I'm assuming she gets a ranked opponent next. But if she can string together two or three more wins, you might see a headliner of Chinese fighter versus Chinese fighter for a title in the future. And, and I just imagine with the UFC trying to crack into more markets like we talked about early on, that's a gold mine for the UFC. And that would certainly guarantee an Eastern Asian champion, finally. All right, it's time for numero uno. Uh, and you know what? Before we do numero uno, do we want to just throw out, did we have any honorable mentions that almost cracked the list but didn't? Yeah, I felt really bad about leaving the Korean Superboy, Doohoo Choi, off this list. Uh, I mean, like, he's three and two in the UFC, which is kind of crazy to think about. But everybody's image of him, I think, is a little bit extra hype due to the cub swanson fight and he's talented and all just he doesn't seem to have the momentum he's been away for a while and, and it just didn't seem like i could put him in front of kyung ho kang as good as kyung ho kang has looked recently maybe he'll be back soon but but for right now doohoo Choi just in the honorable mentions all right well here's our number one we're sticking to it we talked about a foreign fighter in Jinyan yang and we have another one here in song yadong yeah song yadong is 
Uh, absolute killer at Bantamweight. He's 4-0. He's ranked number 13. He is training with Alpha Male, which I know seems weird, right? Because they're talking about building all these new performance institutes in China, and, and there's a couple of good teams in Korea, and there's, there's all kinds of good stuff going on in Eastern Asia. But the best Eastern Asian fighter we have is training with Uriah Faber, is training with Joseph Benavides, is training with Clay Guida, you know, is training with Chad Mendes. Like, that's where he's going to get best, right? He's training with such good people. And he's got absolute dynamite in his hands. You can see it when he knocked out Alejandro Perez. I mean, like if you go through his list of you know victories, they're impressive victories. And not only that, is they're impressive to watch. He's a physical specimen. And the absolute best part, the dude is 21 years old. He was born in 1997, for those of you who want to feel incredibly old listening to this. Song Yudong's got plenty of time and is most likely the quickest to arise. All right, there you have it. That's our list, and we're sticking to it. Uh, Song Yudong. Remember the name. Song Yudong, number one. Hit us up on the Twitter, at SouthTurtleMMA, if you loved our list. If you hated our list, we're accepting both love and hate feedback. Well, it's almost like we planned this out perfectly. We did our top five, most likely, Eastern Asian champs in our combat countdown, and it's a perfect segue to our UFC China breakdown. So, Gumby, why don't you give us this UFC breakdown? And while you're at it, tell us if anyone sponsors it. This UFC in China breakdown is brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Go to sheathunderwear.com. Make sure to use promo code FLOW to get 20% off underwear that's changing the underwear game. Not quite boxers, not quite briefs, not quite boxer briefs, but they have an innovative front pouch that keeps everything separate so that you promote airflow while also giving you the support you need while you're doing physical activity. I'm telling you, it is underwear like you've never worn before. Check them out at sheathunderwear.com. Now, for the three fights I'm going to break down, I'm going to start by taking Weili Zhang over the champ, Jessica Andrade. Zhang may be a plus 140 underdog, but I love her in this fight because I just can't imagine Jessica Andrade matching her physicality because she's so much bigger. And on top of that, she fights a little bit longer than Andrade. And I think I have trouble seeing Andrade both getting in on the inside and when she's getting in on the inside, dealing with the power of Zhang. So I, I like Weili Zhang here as an underdog, and I think you guys should too. Uh, in the co-made event, I like Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos over Li Jiangliang. Uh, Dos Santos is a negative 280 favorite, but I think you're even safe playing in there too because his grappling is so much better uh, than Jiangliang, and he's so much more electric on his feet. Uh, I think this is an easy fight to call. And I'm taking our guest, Kai Kara Franz, who's a negative 230 favorite over Mark De La Rosa. He's faster, he's got better hands, and he's a guy guy who's been fighting at flyweight which I can't I can't stress enough is a huge advantage for him in this fight so once again on this card I'm taking Wei Li Zhang over Jessica Andrade Elizabeth Zaleski Dos Santos over Li Jianglong and Kai Kara Franz over Mark De La Rosa and that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast I want to thank you the fans for listening because we could not have this show without a whole bunch of you guys out there plus I want to thank our sponsor Sisu Mouthguards Sheep Underwear ADK Fightwear, and Maroon Social. Make sure to download that Maroon Social app. I also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without them. And we want to remind you guys, check out our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. We've got all kinds of cool things going on there. Last week, we gave away an autograph picture. So make sure that you're checking out that Twitter all the time. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you next week.